And welcome everyone back to Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. This is Steve Larchuk, and healthcare politics is all about, you guessed it, healthcare and politics. Many thanks to our national sponsor, Pair Networks, world-class web hosting and domain name registration. That's Pair.com, P-A-I-R.com. And this program is devoted to the one thing that everybody cares about and is impacted by, and that is health care. Here we dare to be reasonable. What does that mean? That means we consider all sides of the question and readily invite people with opposite views to come on and uh, express their opinions. Reasonableness requires that you be able to actually articulate the other side's point of view. If you can't do that and you're jumping to conclusions and out there pontificating, then you really aren't being reasonable. You're just spouting off. So here we, we try to be reasonable and we dare to be reasonable. We do healthcare news, commentary, interviews with experts. We're carried by radio stations from Massachusetts to California to Arkansas, and news stations are picking us up every week. It's uh, terrific. Thank, uh, thanks to all of them for their support. Thanks to all you listeners for caring enough to tune in. Uh, today's commentary is going to focus on California because the single-payer legislation in California, California took a tremendous step forward last week. Uh, so we'll talk about that at length. And then we lighten the mood a bit with our extended interview of nationally syndicated political cartoonist Rob Rogers. He's been doing six political cartoons a week for 30 years, if you can believe that. That's, I didn't do the math, but I think that's close to 10,000 cartoons, political cartoons. That's amazing. But first, let's talk about the news. And as mentioned, the California Senate by a vote of 23 to 14, has passed its single-payer legislation, sending it over to the California General Assembly for further action. In Washington, Congressman Conyers' office has announced that his Medicare for All proposal in the House of Representatives now has 112 co-sponsors, way more than it has ever had before, but all Democrats. Apparently, Republicans don't think we need health care, uh, or they would be jumping on board as well. Republican Senator Burr of North Carolina was quoted as saying that Trump Care, which is the House bill that was passed by two votes, was dead on arrival in the Senate, and it is unlikely the Senate will pass anything on health care this year. Now, this is not the only Republican senator to say this, but I bring it up because he's also the chair of the Senate Intelligence, Intelligence Committee, that is investigating the connections between Russia and the Trump campaign and the Trump administration, which suggests that at least as far as Senator Burr is concerned, the Russia investigation has has not just pushed everything to the back of the stove, it's pushed it off the stove. There's nothing else cooking in the Senate other than Russia. And it's all Comey all the time this week, and it's going to... uh, get hotter and hotter for this administration, which means nothing's happening on health care, in fact, except uh, in the states, and that's why we're going to talk about California so much in just a minute. Uh, Meanwhile, the Kaiser Health Foundation polls are continuing to be taken, and 70% of Americans say they want the Medicaid expansion to stay in place. 70%. 
There's a whole lot of Republicans in that 70%, obviously a lot of Democrats and independents, yet the House Republicans and the President seem bound and determined to slash the Medicaid budgets. 49% of Americans say they favor the existing Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act. And we all know what that is also called. That's also called Obamacare. So 49% say they like it and want to keep it, although certainly a lot say it, it could use improving, and uh, probably everybody agrees with that. 55%, according to the poll, have a negative view of Trump care. 55%. So for years and years, the, the Republicans in Congress were saying, give us control and we will immediately repeal that nasty old Obamacare, which 50% of Americans actually want to keep, and we'll replace it with so much something so much better. And what they came up with, 55% of Americans hate. Uh, in fact, only 4% of Americans think that Trump care actually fulfills the pr president's promises, his campaign promises. Let me repeat that. 4% say it actually keeps those promises. While we're waiting for Congress to decide what it is going to do, the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act remains the law, and there are still 19 states which have refused to accept the federal funding to expand those eligible for Medicaid. One of those states is Senator Burr's North Carolina where the new Democratic governor is trying to expand Medicaid, but the state legislature is blocking him, and people are protesting. They've had a 1,000 arrests there just in the past couple of months. Last week, 30 more were arrested. And what's so maddening about this is that 90% of the cost of this Medicaid expansion in North Carolina would come from the federal government. So it is, it is crazy not to expand, but then... Texas is, is being stubborn, Florida, other states as well. Focusing on North Carolina, that's $3.9 billion, with a B, dollars in funding, which could cover about 500,000 currently totally uninsured citizens of North Carolina. That's half a million people who can't see a doctor when they need to get drugs, uh, get the, the care they need because of the stubbornness of the North Carolina legislature. And if they could, if that $3.9 billion in funding could come into that state, that would generate about 50,000 new jobs and provide much-needed funding for opioid addiction therapy. So we need to um, take a break, and we will carry on in just a moment. What are all the things you witness online in a day? Cats playing piano, selfies on your feed... Your friend's picture being turned into a nasty meme that's been shared 50 times? 51. 52. When someone's being bullied online, it's hard to know what to do. Now you can speak up with the witness emoji. It looks like an eye in a speech bubble, and it's in the symbol section near the clocks in your phone. You'll let the world know it isn't cool, and you'll let your friend know you care. Learn more at eyewitnessbullying.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. And this is Steve Larchuk back with Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. And after a bit, we're going to be joined uh, with by Rob Rogers, a na nationally syndicated political cartoonist. And that'll be a lot of fun. I'm sure you'll enjoy that interview. But before we do that, we have to talk about the blockbuster news out of California. Last week, I mentioned this uh, in my commentary. And at the time, there was one economic report which had been issued and it was indicating that there would be about a $400 billion price tag 
to ensuring uh, Californians. I was certain that the second economic report that was in the pipeline would do a lot better than that. And so uh, that report came out, and so we're going to be talking about that as well. But first, what is the California Single Payer Initiative? It would cover every citizen of California, every citizen of California, no matter how old or how young, whether they're employed or unemployed, every single Californian would be covered. And that's why the name of the bill is called Cover California. Pretty clever. Uh, It also would be a plan with no premiums. I'm saying this slowly because it, it has to sink in. No premiums, no copays, no deductibles, no caps, none of that. There would be absolutely no connection between where you work or even if you work and whether you would have access to health care. If you have a job with an employer where you're staying because you need the health care insurance, but what you really would like to do is go out and start your own business, if this passes, you can do that. You can go out and start that new business, start hiring people. If you're a small business that can't compete for the best employees because you can't afford health group health care coverage for everybody, well, now you can because those employees, those potential workers already come with their insurance through the state, through Cover California. So there's no, uh, no need for employers of any size to purchase health care insurance. The plan also includes all the essential health care benefits, including dental and vision care. Those services are provided by the private sector. This is not socialized medicine. In other words, the doctors and hospitals, they're not owned by the government. They remain free, uh, independent business people and businesses. And the only difference is there's just one place they go to to get paid. That's why it's called single payer. There's just one place to go get paid. Doctors and hospitals will collect on 100% of the services they provide. As you know, many times doctors and hospitals have people showing up who simply can't afford their care. And the the generous doctors and, and hospitals who really appreciate their mission provide at least a minimal amount of care, but they never get paid. For that and that ends up uh, tra- costing the rest of us more money through our insurance and everything else and it just it's a waste of, of time and effort a lot of wheel spinning goes into trying to collect money uh, that's owed because people don't have insurance so the billing systems will also be simplified and streamlined you know there are hospitals in this country who do not have a nurse for every bed in the hospital but they have a biller for every bed in the hospital. Now somebody someday will explain to me why that makes any sense at all. Yet those in Congress, and I keep saying Republicans because most of them are Republicans, but maybe not all of them, but they want this, they keep saying, oh, the private sector, the the insurance companies will compete effectively and everything will be so much better. And there's no proof of that at all. As a matter of fact, our experience in this country is that private health insurers do not compete with each other. 
what they do is they compete with the patients and they compete with the doctors and the hospitals. They try and cover as little as they can. They try and pay as little as they can. It's, it's just like a racetrack. All they want to do is get more people to pay more money in. People say they, that insurance companies are helpful in reducing the cost of, insurance, of care. That's absurd. It's like a racetrack. The racetrack doesn't care how much or which horse wins. The, the racetrack couldn't care which horse wins. All they care is that people bet as much as possible because they, they get a cut. They get their 10% off the top. And, and group health insurance companies are very much like that. The more money that passes through their hands, the more that sticks. So we're going to keep going here because we have uh, a new study. The, the one that I predicted would be so much better, and it is. It has come, and I have it sitting here at my elbow. It's from the uh, University of Massachusetts Amherst Political Economy Research Institute, authored by four Ph.D. economists, and they have done the deep dive, and the, the bottom line is that they believe there's about $75 billion a year that can be saved from the cost of insurance in California. $75 billion, which means that the, the nut here, the target, the bogey, whatever you want to call it, is $325 billion, which sounds like just an amazing amount of money. And it is until you realize that all the $225 billion of that is what we're spending already in California from the federal government paying from Medicaid and Medicare and what California is contributing. So to increase the coverage to make sure that everybody's covered with no copays, no deductibles, no premiums. What you're really looking at is another hundred billion dollars approximately. And so where can that come from? Because uh, it, there is no free lunch and there is no free health care, but the amount that has to be secured is not that bad. There's all sorts of ways it can be done. Now this study, if you read the study you'll see, has its own suggestion, but it's not the only way to do it. But its suggestion is that California add a two two 2.5% charge on its sales tax and 2.3% gross receipts tax. Now, as soon as people hear, oh, my God, increase the sales tax, they get their hairs on fire, they freak out. California has already thought about that, or these, these uh, PhDs, and they said, look, for people who would be adversely affected by that there will be a tax credit refundable tax credit that will get all of that back to them whatever they pay for that extra two and a half percent and small businesses who would be worried about the gross receipts tax the first two million dollars would not even be touched so if you have a pizza shop or a dress shop or any kind of small business unless you're grossing way over two million dollars you're not affected by this either so it's really a, a very exciting plan and we're going to be talking about it a lot because nothing's happening in Washington. Uh, you can just, it's all Russia all the time. So it's up to places like California to do something about it. So with that, uh, we're going to wrap up this commentary for this week and come back to California next week. But I'm so happy to to ask you to stay for the Rob Rogers interview. Rob Rogers is a nationally syndicated political cartoonist. It's a lighthearted discussion, but it's really fascinating to hear how he does it. So we'll be back shortly. This is Steve Larchuk, Healthcare Politics.
You're not wired to have a response to this sound. You're neutral to it, and you can hear it repeatedly without feeling anything. But when we introduce a new stimulus, save the food, we've achieved pulling a natural or inborn response from you. Save the food, because 40% of all food in the US never gets eaten. Save the food, cook it, store it, share it, just don't waste it. For tips and recipes, visit savethefood.com, brought to you by NRDC and the Ad Council. When it comes to saving money, don't act like a baby. Goo goo gaga. Be the boss and make a budget. I'm the boss, baby. You're the boss of me. I am the boss of you. Or not. M2. Or not. M2. Need a little help? Aren't you going to do any work? I'm very busy delegating. Create a personalized savings plan. We can share. You obviously didn't go to business school. And get other tools and tips at feedthepig.org. Brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Imagine if I told you that an earthquake was going to hit tomorrow right where you live. That it would be 6.5 in magnitude with aftershocks occurring twice 25 minutes apart. You'd no doubt talk with your loved ones and you'd make a plan today. It's true, I can't tell you an earthquake will happen tomorrow. But what if it does? Shouldn't you have a plan? Go to ready.gov communicate and make your emergency plan today. Don't wait. Communicate. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. What if I told you that a tornado was going to happen tomorrow, right where you live? That it would touch down at exactly 3.17 p.m. and I told you the exact path it would take. You would, of course, prepare. You would talk with your loved ones and you'd make a plan today. It's true, I can't tell you a tornado will strike tomorrow, but shouldn't you have a plan anyway? Go to ready.gov communicate and make your emergency plan today. Don't wait. Communicate. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Today we decided to walk to school. The light counted. 15, 14. 31? I mean 13? We took a left on Carroll Street. Danny's smart, but he gets distracted. He realized he forgot his homework. I hope he doesn't have another bad day at school. When you can see learning and attention issues from their side, you can be on their side. That's why there's understood.org, a free resource for the parents of the one in five kids with learning and attention issues. Go from misunderstanding to understood.org. Brought to you by Understood and the Ad Council. And welcome, everyone, back to Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. This is Steve Larchuk, and our special guest for the rest of the hour is Rob Rogers. Many of you know his work. If you don't know his name, he's a political cartoonist, nationally syndicated, and the recipient of many awards, and we're lucky to have him join us today, but I want to just do a little introduction, and I'll start with uh, something that someone else said. When, when Rob was awarded the Berryman Award by the National Press Foundation, the judges said this. They said, Rogers has a vivid visual style that invites you in. He tackles really heavy issues with a light-handed touch. He leaves no confusion about his point of view, and he knows what he wants to say. And so certainly uh, anybody that's enjoyed your work uh, uh, can tell uh, that you do have a point of view. You also have uh, been a multiple-time recipient of the Thomas Nast Award, and you have been a finalist for the Pulitzer. Yes, yes. Thanks, Steve. Uh, uh, it's, it's good to be here. Well, you, you cut me off. You're so modest. <laughs> uh, that's okay. So let's just dive into it a little bit. One of the reasons I was so happy that you accepted our invitation for the show is 
I'm personally fascinated by political cartoonists. Uh, it's, I, I don't think it's a very big club. Uh, there aren't many of you that have yeah. actually made a living uh, doing this. But uh, just how do you do it? How do you every day come up with something new and, and funny? You know, that's a question that I ask myself every day. But um, there, is a certain, there is a certain rhythm to it after you've been doing it for so many years. And I've been doing it since 1984. So, um, so I've had some time to practice. But basically, if, you know, it's, it's, you know, I get up in the morning, I read the papers, I, I look, look at the news on, the, on television, I scroll the Internet. And I have my sketchbook with me, and I just write down topics, and I and I start to sort of figure out where I'm going to go. And some days, some days it's it's much easier than others. Lately, there's been too many topics to draw, so I have to kind of pick and choose, and sometimes I have to leave things out. But um, but there, you know, then there, you know, then there are days where you feel like you've commented on something already, and so you're sort of left with some topics that aren't so interesting and 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 you 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 know it it, it you do have hard days as well uh so it's not all it's not all like you know <laughs> the the golden days of uh of of Trump but um but there are there are some tough times but you know basically it's you know, even though there's a lot of creativity and thinking and sort of sitting and staring out the window involved, um, you know, because I've been doing it long enough, I know when I'm close to a good idea and I, and I sort of can self-edit and I can, I can get there, uh, quicker. And eventually you start to, you start to sort of rely on, on the fact that you've been doing it long enough and you can, you can come up with something, um, if it gets to be like two o'clock in the afternoon and I don't have anything, then I start to panic a little bit. But um, but most of the time, what I need to do is just get up, take a walk around the block or something, and and try to either change topics if I'm stuck, or or um, or just try to try to clear my head a little bit and, and get a fresh start. What is your deadline? Well, my deadline is is you know five o'clock every day. The editor wants to see it. And then um, if there are any changes by that time, I can, you know, I have a little time to make changes. But, um, but yeah, five, basically 5 o'clock every day. So, and, and I do it six days a week. Well, okay. So you literally are drawing every, six days a week? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And my guess is you're thinking on the seventh day. <laughs> to come up with ideas. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's hard not to, um, but but oftentimes I try not to think on that other day. But uh, Saturday, you know, <laughs> it's my day off. People who are familiar with your work uh, probably would agree that I that many of your your cartoons are, and is that the right word for them? I don't want to insult your work. Is, is oh, it no, fair to yeah, call them cartoons? A, yeah, I mean, some people call them, you know, political commentary or satire. But it, but it's all the same thing. I mean, yeah, they, I, I, I feel like cartoons have finally, you know, in this day and age, have finally gained some, some stature. So I don't, I don't, as an art form, and I don't feel like, I don't feel like it's an insult to call it a cartoon. I, well, I'm we proud of it. Graphic novels. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Wonder Woman is yeah. back and mm-hmm. and bigger than ever, and 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 people debate, and there are these huge conventions, uh, comics and comic books has been elevated to a whole 
whole new place that it never had in its so-called heyday of the 50s and 60s. So at the end of the show, I do want to talk to you a little bit about the future of, of political cartooning. But where I was heading was it, a person could, looking at your work, say that you're sometimes a little harsh. And I, we're going to talk about UPMC in the next segment, so let's, let's not jump the gun on that. Mm-hmm. But for example, sometimes when you depict Trump voters, you, you don't exactly flatter them in the way you draw them. Now, sure. is, do you ever think to yourself, gee, you know, some, some really nice people who dress well voted for Trump too? Yes, I mean the the funny thing is I I tend to if you look at if you look at the breadth of my work I mean most most of the people that I draw that if it's not a straight caricature of somebody um, then I'm then I'm usually drawing sort of an average guy that's kind of dopey looking um, so so it, it 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 kind of goes with my with my cartooning style that that, that I've adapted so um, so it's not only because I'm drawing. Either the Republican voter, or, or um, you know, a redneck guy, uh, you know, from from somewhere, uh, you know, in the woods or something. But, um, but yes, I mean, I do tend to, I do tend to sort of make um, make fun of people that I disagree with. Um, but, but I, but I also make everybody look funny, you know. What I mean? Even <laughs> That's even true. the liberals. So, so I, I don't think it's. Um, you know, it's not just one party. Um, although I do, you know, I do disagree with the Republicans a lot more. So, well, this this show, as you know, is called Healthcare Politics. So we're going to spend some time focusing on the healthcare topics that you've you've done. And as I was going through your uh, your portfolio or your archive on your website, and I would suggest that anybody that needs a good laugh or, frankly, a history lesson. <laughs> should go to robrogers.com. Is that the right website? Robrogers.com? Yeah, okay, R O B R O G E R S.com. And when I say history, I'm a historian first and a lawyer second and a talk show host, you know, third, fifth, tenth, or whatever. But I, I found that as going through that archive, it was like a, a history book because it reminded me of things that had happened that you documented in just a one or two panels, sometimes six panels. And when it came to healthcare, I focused on that. And just a partial list of the topics you covered were Ebola and the hysteria mm-hmm. that came from that. And yeah. you, in one one cartoon, you, indic- you you compared the hysteria over Ebola, and the risk of dying from Ebola was I don't know one in hundreds of millions in the United States at least. Yet uh, diabetes and heart disease and things like that weren't getting much attention. Instead, right. we were just obsessed. Uh, CNN, of course, uh, on Ebola, uh, vaccinations, that whole debate, uh, Zika, right. uh, and of course, uh, what you called repealitis, the Republican right. obsession with repealing the Obamacare yeah. for years and years and years. I mean, you had a lo- you've had a lot of fun with that, uh, although right now it's not sounding especially funny. No. Uh, you, you went on drug prices. Uh, you did a piece on hot dogs. I noticed there's a theme in a lot of your cartoons where you talk about our eating habits. Yeah. Is, is, I'm guessing you're like a thin runner or something. I mean, <laughs> we've never met. What do you look like? I wouldn't call myself a thin uh, runner. I, I, ha- I Yeah, I was a runner. Uh, I knew it. I've had to run less 
recently just because my knees are, are giving out. But uh-huh. um, See, exercise is bad for you. Yeah, that's right. All so, right, I'll tell you what, on that ridiculous thought, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk, we're, just as an example of the kind of political hurricane that a political cartoonist can get in the middle of, we're going to talk about the war between UPMC Medical System in western Pennsylvania and Highmark, uh, which was the Blue Cross affiliate in western Pennsylvania. It was the War of the Roses, and you were right in the middle of it with your commentary. So we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll talk about that. This is Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchin. You're listening to Win Workers Independent News, a Diversified Media Enterprises production. I'm Doug Cunningham. California is making progress toward a Medicare for All law. The California Senate voted to approve the bill and send it to the California Assembly. California Nurses Association, National Nurses United, is a big backer of the single-payer Medicare-style system that would cover all Californians. To become law, SB 562 must pass the Assembly, get reconciled between the two houses of the California legislature, and also get Governor Jerry Brown's signature. At least eight members of the Assembly are co-sponsoring the bill. Roseanne DeMauro, Executive Director of the California Nurses Association, National Nurses United, says that passage in the Senate was a banner day for California and a moral model for the nation on universal single-payer health care. A team of economists at the Political Economy Research Institute at the University of Massachusetts Amherst studied the economic impact of this Medicare for All bill in California and found that it would cut the out-of-pocket health care costs of middle-income California families by as much as 9%. Business would also benefit from cuts in payroll costs under the bill. The AFL-CIO says pulling out of the Paris Climate Agreement is a decision to abandon a cleaner future powered by good jobs. AFL-CIO President Rich Trumka says it's a failure of American leadership. SEIU President Mary Kay Henry says Trump's decision to take the U.S. out of the Paris Climate Accord won't stop working Americans from pushing for progress on climate change. Henry said by withdrawing from the Paris Climate Agreement, President Trump and his self-interested political allies are killing the creation of new industries and jobs that could give communities the boost they need to thrive in favor of corporate polluters who want to pad their bottom line on the health of our communities. United Steelworkers President Leo Girard says President Trump's decision to withdraw from the Paris Agreement is an inexcusable blow to the U.S. economy and signals to domestic innovators and manufacturers that the U.S. will not support them. Wins Joanne Powers has more labor news. Donald Trump's proposed budget makes unprecedented cuts that would shift a huge amount of federal spending responsibility onto the states, including a quarter of the cost of the National Food Stamps Program for needy families and cuts of up to $1.3 trillion to Medicaid. John Peacock is project director of the Wisconsin Budget Project. He proposes massive cuts to Medicaid in order basically to fund huge tax cuts for corporations and the very wealthy. These cuts are incentivizing states to cut services for low-income citizens. Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker and the Republican majority in the state legislature are proposing several changes to the state's Medicaid program. Childless adults who make at least $200 a month would have to pay a premium, having drug testing, and putting a four-year time limit. Actually, a number of those things would cost more, at least in the short run, because of the amount of bureaucracy involved in making those changes. WIN is made possible in part by the OPEIU, the Office and Professional Employees International Union. You've been listening to WIN, Workers' Independent News. For more information, visit laborradio.org. Adopt U.S. Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting. 
You're bringing your daughter to her favorite pop star's concert. Do you A, wear earplugs? Isn't this fun, Dad? I have a soft pretzel. B, remember the moment with matching concert t-shirts. That's gonna be 180 bucks. Or we can just take a photo. C, show her how you used to do concerts. We're going crowd surfing! I can't, it's too heavy! Oh my god! Or D, just roll with it. Woo! Justin! Look at us, we're over here! Justin! Justin! OMG! He just looked, I love you, Justin! I love you! When it comes to parenting, there are no perfect answers. But that's okay, because you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Teens in foster care will love you just the same. For more information on how you can adopt, visit adoptuskids.org slash AL. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Welcome back, everyone, to this uh, lighthearted show this week, Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. We have with us this week Rob Rogers, political cartoonist, nationally syndicated, many awards. But before we uh, pick up, I just want to thank our national sponsor, Pair Networks. That's Pair Networks, world-class web hosting and domain registration, Pair.com, P-A-I-R.com. And Rob... You, we started uh, running down a very long list of healthcare-related topics that you've mm-hmm. covered with your work, but during the, I guess, uh, 2015 era in particular, mm-hmm. in Western Pennsylvania there was this massive war between UPMC, which used, which is the abbreviation for University Presbyterian Medical Center. It, it years ago morphed. In, from being more than just a health delivery system, but it created its own insurance company and became this behemoth making, right. I don't know, a billion dollars a year uh, profit, but because it's a not-for-profit, it's not really profit. I don't know what it's called, excess reserves, something <laughs> like that. And they, the competitor to UPMC was actually its older brother, uh, Highmark, which was a uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield affiliate uh, really, it's just a trademark. They're not part of anything. They just got to use the, the Blue Cross symbol. And they really mixed it up. Highmark went out and bought its own health delivery system and started this war because people who had insured themselves through UPMC sometimes wanted to use a Highmark hospital or doctor. And UPMC was declaring that it wouldn't pay for it, that you had well, to use no, one the of No, the other way around, actually. Uh, okay. Hi, well. like, like so, so, for instance, I'm a Highmark... Uh, you know, I, I have Highmark, uh, and and tr- and have have always gone to UPMC hospitals, and have and have, it had always been accepted um, because it was the biggest insurer in the state. And and then UPMC decided they would no longer uh, re- they, they they didn't renew the contract with Highmark, and so all of these uh, customers were left out in the cold. And they either had to choose UPMC insurance or some other smaller insurance company that UPMC accepted. So, so they put a lot of people in a bind, especially those who lived in Pittsburgh, you know, where UPMC was the dominant uh, health system. Uh, and the better one. I mean, I, I have to say, I mean, now, now there are some other ones like Allegheny General that are getting better. But at the time, when this all started, UPMC ha- has always been the clear uh, quality care center uh, in this in this region. Um, so that was part of the problem was that you know if you wanted 
to go to the best place and get the best doctor, you had to change to their insurance or you had or you were out in the cold. And so, you know, that's what caused me to draw some cartoons. Like I, I'm looking at one that I drew where the doctor is saying, uh, UPMC doctor is saying, choose your health care as if your life depended on it, which is their slogan. And then the next panel, he's pointing a gun at, at the Highmark patient saying, go ahead, choose. <laughs> choose or else. Yeah. Well, we're going we're gonna to beat up on UPMC a little bit. So before we do, let me say something nice. Okay. It's only fair. We try and be... Uh, we dare to be reasonable here. Uh, the UPMC system, before UPMC, as UPMC existed, uh, was really the home of Jonas Salk, who was uh, yeah. the inventor of the Salk vaccine, which basically spared my generation and yours from the scourge mm-hmm. of polio. And also, uh, recently uh, passing uh, Thomas Starzl, who was right. the leader in uh, liver transplant technology. And so a lot of us... Uh, when we think of yeah, and, UPMC. and not to mention my father, who was the chief of pulmonary medicine, um, beginning in like uh, 1980, 80, I think 1980, um, and then for 20 years um, was the chief of pulmonary medicine at UPMC. So I had a, a very soft spot in my heart, you yep. know, for for UPMC, and I still do. I just I just had surgery there, you know. <laughs> so so I I mean I it is still my provider. But I can only go to the doctors that I was already seeing at the time, you know. Right. Well, you, so you you weighed in as a political cartoonist, right? Because money that was the people were paying into both systems for their premiums and their employers. If the employer was paying for the health insurance, mm-hmm. a lot of that money was being used to buy advertising that knocked the other system. Mm-hmm. and paid for lawyers and lawsuits and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And that money was not going to take care of uh, patients. It was going to this war. And right. the reason I bring this up here at Healthcare Politics is there are a lot of people in Washington, D.C. who basically say the private sector is wonderful. They always do things that are in the best interest of the customer, that uh, if you just let the private sector and free market do its will, everything will be just fine. Well, here's an example in in shining lights of what can happen when you leave it to the private sector because these two systems were essentially private insurance entities and they just went to war and there was a lot of collateral damage. I mean, you were talking about your own experience, but a lot of people were were beat up by that and a lot of money wasted. So you weighed in and started doing cartoons and you got into some trouble. Why don't you tell the story? Well, um, you know, I can't take full credit. My newspaper was also writing editorials and, and, and doing investigative stories that were were not putting UPMC in the best light. But um, but I was hammering away at mostly at Jeffrey Romoff, who's the you know, the CEO and he's the guy who, you know, was was pushing most of this agenda from, from what I could uh, gather from the news. Um, and so and so I think that, you know, um, what happened was eventually, um, and I don't know, I'd have to look back at the timing of it to see if it exactly lined up with, um, with the one cartoon that you and I discussed earlier, but, um, but, but eventually UPMC pulled their advertising. Um, I want to say it was sort of back in like end of 2015. Uh, well, but, I've got it in front of me. Okay. Okay. Because when we chatted a little bit yesterday to get ready for today's show, 
you mentioned that there was one cartoon that sort of broke the UPMC camel's back. Well, what happened was one of the reporters, you know, I never heard from them directly, but one of the reporters who covers UPMC, um, you know, came up to me and said, uh, you know, the, the, you know, that that cartoon, you know, like all the other cartoons, they were they were sort of miffed about. But that cartoon was the one that Jeffrey Romoff really hated. Well, let me describe it because okay. this isn't television. I can't show it to anybody. But it, it has a, a couple watching television. And on the television, there's this image of a guy with big sinister eyes dressed all in black with a little slit where the eyes are. It looks like Jihadi John, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and he's got this big saber. And he's, he's obviously about to cut the throat of this poor guy. Uh, who's wearing a T-shirt that says Highmark Medicare Advantage. Mm-hmm. And the husband of the couple that's watching says ISIS, and the wife says, no, UPMC. And uh, so when you told me there was one uh, cartoon that was the final straw for Jeffrey Romoff and UPMC, I took a guess that this is the one, and you just confirmed this appears to be it. The date on the cartoon is April 2015. Right. So th- what happened as I understand it, was UPMC, which is one of the major industries, it's healthcare, of course, but it's one of the major players in Western Pennsylvania, stopped advertising with your newspaper. Yes, and um, and I tried to look up when that exactly happened, but uh, it looks like it was in the, yeah, it was, it was not long after that uh, or, or near that time that, um, because we ran an, uh, we ran a, an editorial talking about how we stand by the reporting free of UPMC, you know, and um, and I think that because, I think that was because they had pulled their advertising. Well, and they also, to, to get you where it really hurt, they uh, they refused to sell your newspaper in their gift shops, right. which I just, I mean, yeah. when you well, want to talk about actually, petty. That's when, that's when this editorial was written, right after oh, they pulled okay. it from the, from the gift shop. Yeah. So there's a little chicken and eggs situation. Uh-huh. Well, we're going to take another break, and when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit uh, more broadly about the cartooning world and profession. So we're going to take a break. Uh, join us when you come when you, everybody comes back because we will have a continued interview with Rob Rogers. This is Healthcare Politics with Steve Larcher. You're not wired to have a response to this sound. You're neutral to it, and you can hear it repeatedly without feeling anything. But when we introduce a new stimulus, save the food, we've achieved pulling a natural or inborn response from you. Save the food, because 40% of all food in the US never gets eaten. Save the food, cook it, store it, share it, just don't waste it. For tips and recipes, visit savethefood.com, brought to you by NRDC and the Ad Council. Hope you enjoyed your meal. And I just want to say, he's lucky to have a brother like you. Lucky? Caring for my brother is far from easy. But he's a part of me, like my arms and legs, so I'll be his. No time for tired. Nothing can disable this love. He needs me, but I'm the lucky one, even though I need help now and then. If you're caring for a loved one, visit aarp.org caregiving for care guides and community. Support for your strength. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. When it comes to saving money, don't act like a baby. Goo goo gaga. Be the boss and make a budget. I'm the boss, baby. You're the boss of me. I am the boss of you. Or not. M2. Or not. M2. 
Need a little help? Aren't you gonna do any work? I'm very busy delegating. Create a personalized savings plan. We can share. You obviously didn't go to business school. And get other tools and tips at feedthepig.org. Brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Hi, I found a toy dinosaur over on the playground by Smith Street. It had this phone number on it, and, well, I just wanted to make sure the dinosaur made it back to its little owner. When I found the little sippy cup, I just had to give you a call. It's for a kid, you know? I know my son gets super attached to the smallest things, even a fire truck, and I'd be happy to drop it off. We'd do anything for kids, yet one in six children in the U.S. struggle with hunger. Help end childhood hunger. Contact Food Bank of West Central Texas. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. And welcome back, everyone, to Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk and our special guest this week, Rob Rogers, political cartoonist, uh, national award winner, and an all-around good guy. And we are talking about political cartooning. We just finished a segment talking about the battle in western Pennsylvania between two major health insurers and how uh, Rob was doing cartoons that commented on that. And leading to one of them, uh, the UPMC folks actually pulling their advertising from his newspaper, which was not a trivial thing. I remember that they used to take full-page ads, and that's that's a lot of money and a lot of ad revenue to lose over a uh, free speech issue. And I, I wonder if we'd have the courage to do that today. I, I'd like to think that we, we do. But I, I, let's I don't want to on. take full credit for that. Some of the, a lot of the reporting that we were doing was also uh, why they pulled the advertising. So <laughs> well, okay. So it wasn't just you, but I mean, no, no, it wasn't just me. I think, but, I think but you know, you but it does. Yeah, it's still it's still pretty detrimental to a newspaper who's you know in a in a struggling industry. At the risk uh, of having you plug some competitors, my guess is you have some political cartoonists that you admire. Who who do you particularly oh. like and why? Oh, well, gosh. I mean, the list is very long. I, I started out really uh, looking at, at Pat Oliphant's work um, back when he was at the Washington Star, and then that dissolved, But um, and then he was just syndicated. But uh, he was at the Denver Post, too, for a little while. But um, he and Jeff McNelly were sort of my heroes uh, uh, sort of while I was in college and learning to learning the craft. And then um, but but some of my contemporaries that I think are great are, are people like Clay Bennett and, and Matt Bors and uh, um, even Mike Larkovich. Uh, you know, the, these guys are all people I know and I see at the conventions every year. So uh, you, we, you, we, we do have conventions. You have conventions? Even though even though a lot of the, the a lot of the guys that I started out with and and women, there are a couple of women uh, in the field, but. Um, you know, a lot of them are freelancing now because because newspapers have, you know, gone the way of blacksmith shops. Um, but, you know, there's still some of us who, who make it out to these conventions every year. Well, let's talk about that. What is the future of political cartooning? Well, I mean, I do think that, um, like I mentioned, Matt Boers, he does a thing called The Nib. And if you go to thenib.com, you can see some of that work. But he, he works for... Uh, um, you know this this um, independent sort of website that that actually finances uh, creative work. So they they get they get they hire cartoonists to do to do pieces for them, and they comment on politics. And that does seem like sort of the new. It's almost like a Huffington Post kind of approach. Um, but 
but I think that I think that most of the opportunities for political cartooning are are going to be on you know on the internet right now uh, because because old media is sort of um, you know is going away and you know there'll still be enough I think enough people reading newspapers to to keep a few of us employed but but there aren't any new jobs propping you know popping up so I think that. I think that the opportunities will all be on the internet, and there are plenty of websites now that carry political cartoons. So um, it's just not as lucrative, and it's not you know sometimes you have to supplement your income somehow by doing other things. But um, well, I noticed I, think, I noticed you know, that I, Jake Tapper. Sorry to interrupt, but Jake Tapper, uh, who hosts State of the Union, mm-hmm. yeah, at the end of his show, he he's doing his own cartoons, and he mm-hmm. calls it State of the Cartoonian. You know, I haven't seen that yet. I heard that he was doing that. He was—he actually came to one of our conventions, uh, and he and he gave a speech, and then he drew for us. Uh, but he's a big fan of—he, you know, he he really likes political cartooning, and would have, you know, I think he would have been a political cartoonist had he not gone into the news business. But um, but well, yeah, he, yeah, he's a great guy. There's so much competition on the Sunday shows that I I think it's just a matter of time, and maybe not much time until we start having full half-hour, hour shows that are principally cartoons yeah, uh, with a political twist to it. Uh, now, one of the problems with the print industry is that computers are starting to write uh, news stories. And I'm, I, I hope that there's no possibility that will happen with political cartooning. You know, it's, it's, I don't think it will, but, but the one, you know, there is a lot of competition for us. I mean, there's, you know... Um, Everything is instant now. So, so, so normally, like I, I get up in the morning and I start reading and I research and I do a lot of hard work to get to the end of the day, and then you don't see the work, you don't see it appear until the next morning. Well, you know, the, the, a lot of cartoonists who are freelancing or who don't have a newspaper don't have that restraint, and so some of them will do a quick sketch and get it up on the internet like right away, and then you have people who also create memes you know like these photos with a with a tagline under it and it it sort of becomes its own political cartoon um and and there are all kinds of these things popping up everywhere and some of them are very funny and some of them aren't but but the 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 thing that it sort of says is hey anybody can do this you know which isn't necessarily true but but it it does give the impression that um you know anybody can be a, a a satirist um and so it does it does kind of make you feel like you know oh boy <laughs> well don't worry about it i don't, i don't think a computer will ever have the intuitive sense that you bring to it or the the comic sense yeah i i could watch a professional baseball player hit curveballs all day long and never ever hit one myself yeah. so just yeah. the fact that it you know it looks easy it's probably like most things in life not as easy as it looks but i want to give you a, f- a few minutes to talk about something else that's important mm-hmm. to you and that's the two uh, the tunesium yes in pittsburgh and there are actually three uh museums like that that are devoted to cartooning one of them is right in pittsburgh where you live mm-hmm. and you were president for 10 years we've got a couple of minutes to talk about that so tell people about that well um you know the only there there's there's one in san francisco as well which i think was the model for this one um but this was created created by joe Wos, a local cartoonist um and it started out at the children's museum and then eventually moved over to liberty avenue in downtown pittsburgh 
Um, it's a very small museum. Uh, it's just it mostly deals with you know revolving exhibits about cartoons and cartooning, and um, and what I liked about it was that we weren't afraid to do you know controversial shows like I did one about the Trump campaign, and um, we we did a you know we we gathered political cartoons from all over uh, the country um, last year, and we did a, a show for that, and then we. We also did one on um, on racism, and so so we're not afraid to tackle difficult topics. And but then we also have things you know um, that are lighter touch with like superheroes and and that kind of thing all the time. So um, so it's really a great way to celebrate cartoons, celebrate the cartoonists, and give people a place to go to see original artwork, which is which is rare because everything on the internet that you see, you know, some of it, like you said, is is created by artists, but they do it all on the computer now. And and the old days, you know, everybody used ink and paper, and and they had an original uh, that they started out with, and so so we have a lot of those on display, and and it gives people a chance to see. You know the mistakes and and the whiteout and the and the ink on the paper and uh, and then maybe some explanations about what they were thinking when they created this piece of art. So it's really nice, and we have a books little gift shop with a bookstore, and um, and it's it's been uh, it's been a real pleasure to be a part of. You know, I I was I was with the museum from the beginning, and uh, now I'm on the advisory board, but um, but it's just a great place to. Uh, to sort of celebrate the art of cartooning. Well, Rob, it's been a pleasure having you on the show today. How many more years do you think you'll be doing this? <laughs> well, you know, uh, I hope for many, many years. It's been, um, I'm trying to think, of, I think it's been 33 years so far, wow. so that's pretty That's pretty great. Um, and uh, I, I, I could do another 33, uh, <laughs> well, you know, as far as, as, far as my interest, but... Um, but we'll see how that goes. Well, it's it's six days a week. Maybe, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I might cut back on that. <laughs> okay, well, Rob, thank you so much. And as I right. said earlier, people who want to look at your work should go to robrogers.com, R-O-B-R-O-G-E-R-S.com. Uh, you have just a, I don't know if you have your whole collection there, but anything anybody would want to look at is there. And, and so thank you so much for joining us. No, it's, it's, it's actually not. It's only a, a portion. I haven't put the rest up yet, but well, there's, uh, there's from a the trem- pre, pre-internet days. <laughs> and and you, it's, you, it's searchable, so if there's a topic somebody's particularly interested in, they can mm-hmm. look at it. So thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. I've taken a half an hour away from your uh, cartoon doing today, so get back to work. And thank All you right. so much. And this Thank is, we're going to be back in just a second with some parting thoughts. This is Steve Larchuk, Healthcare Politics. What are all the things you witness online in a day? Cats playing piano, selfies on your feed, your friend's picture being turned into a nasty meme that's been shared 50 times? 51. 52. When someone's being bullied online, it's hard to know what to do. Now you can speak up with the witness emoji. It looks like an eye in a speech bubble, and it's in the symbol section near the clocks in your phone. You'll let the world know it isn't cool, and you'll let your friend know you care. Learn more at eyewitnessbullying.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Today we decided to walk to school. The light counted. 15, 14, 41, 31, I mean 13. 
We took, took a, a left, left on, on Carroll Street. Street. Danny's smart, but he gets distracted. Oh, I realized he forgot his homework. I hope, I hope he doesn't have another bad day at school. When you can see learning and attention issues from their side, you can be on their side. That's why there's understood.org, a free resource for the parents of the one in five kids with learning and attention issues. Go from misunderstanding to understood.org. Brought to you by Understood and the Ad Council. This is Mario Andretti. You know me as a race car driver, but I'm also a Meals on Wheels volunteer. I've raced against the sport's biggest personalities, but I've never met more vibrant, amazing people than the seniors served by Meals on Wheels. You can make a difference by dropping off a hot meal and saying a quick hello. So, America, let's do lunch. Volunteer your lunch break at americaletsdolunch.org. This message brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. And we are back with Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. And thank you very much, Rob Rogers, for being our guest this week. I think it was a lot of fun to listen to Rob describe the creative process of political cartooning. Uh, he cut me off when I was trying to extol his uh, virtues and his, uh, his credits and, and accolades. Uh, he's a modest uh, person who's been doing political cartooning for 33 years. And uh, for all our benefit, I hope he keeps it up. If you'd like to be part of our program with a question or comment, please contact us through comment at healthcare-politics.com. Many thanks to our national sponsor, Pair Networks, world-class web hosting and domain name registration, Pair.com, that's P-A-I-R.com. Our music is courtesy of Mike Stout. Our booker is Dr. Ann McGeary. Engineering and technical support is provided by TUE Media. Until next week, remember the words of Martin Luther King Jr. Of all forms of injustice, inequality in health care is the most shocking and inhumane. So please visit us at healthcare-politics. This has been Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk, a production of Dare to be Reasonable Media. Get the problem solved.